Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, and uh, we'll study there this morning. If you don't have your Bibles, there's Bibles under the pews, feel free to grab one. The text before us is Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Let's read the text. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Within Christianity and amongst various churches, you'll find different approaches to spiritual warfare. You, you have some that, in my opinion, just become obsessed with spiritual warfare. Um, everything has to do with the devil or a demon. Um, they, they get to a place of, you know, the devil made me do it, or there's the demon of this sin, or the demon of that sin, or a demon that's making my car break down, or a demon of this city, or of this neighborhood, or whatever it is to where it just consumes them of their obsession with, with the principalities and powers. There's another extreme in which we just don't talk about it. Churches that, that, that are in a place of um, making it seem as if you become a Christian and everything just is good. Um, there's no real battle that takes place. That things are just going to be peachy from this point on because you have hope now. You're going to heaven now. Things are good. And then people fall into sin and all kinds of trials and aren't sure how to even handle it in those circumstances. There's intentionality in taking this particular week to look at Ephesians chapter 6 because I know that Satan is real and his demons are real. I know that, um, that temptation is real and that those that are here this morning... If you're a believer, you are struggling with sin. You struggle with sin. Um, There's temptations that are around us, and we need to know how to fight those temptations. And if we don't think about it, and we're not cognitive of the fact that there's a a full armor of God that we're to place on, it, it, it is very possible for us to come to a place of just finding ourselves defeated over and over and over again. 
And so I pray that this is a blessing to you. I, I, um, I know that there's times where the Lord brings us to a place and to a particular text and speaks to our heart for a very specific reason. And I pray that that, that takes place today in your heart. The text begins by saying this, Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Every word here is just vital for us to look at. When you look at the apostle writing these things as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's talking to these Christians My brethren, in light of everything that he had said before, as far as this great salvation that they have, he calls them to be strong. But then he says, be strong in the Lord. For us, this is vital for us to think about. Because we don't look at this as, okay, you guys, let's be strong. Let's be strong. We can do this. We can do it. We can make it through it. We can overcome sin. We can overcome temptation. We can overcome addictions. We can overcome whatever it is on our own. We we cannot. If you think, like, I can overcome all of these things and I could get my life right and everything's going to be okay, it'll just be like the Pharisees in the sense of being, you know, whitewashed sepulchers. You're clean on the outside, but inside there's still the issue of being filled with dead men's bones. We look at, at true spiritual warfare that, that takes place and the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, all of us who know anything about God know that he's all-powerful. So when you, you, you look and you, you, you see this, it's telling us, be strong in him. Be strong with the power that is in his might. That's powerful. It's as powerful as it could be. So when you're at a place of, I just can't do it. There's no way I'm ever going to overcome this sin. I'll just struggle with the sin for the rest of my life. There's no way I can ever do it. Just, it's my personality. It's how I'm built. It's because of my upbringing. It's because of whatever other thing you can think of as far as why you're still in your sin and you don't overcome it and there's no victory that takes place. It's because there's a good chance that you're trying to do it in the power of your own might, not in the power of his. So God says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's the source of her power. From there, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand. So that when the wiles of the devil and his principalities and powers come at you, Put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand in that time. We're not left to our own weapons, but God gives us the weapons and the armor. He gives us the weapons and he gives us the armor. I want to stand. I don't want to fall. Like, I don't want to fall. I look at sin that is committed and I just, I want to stay so far away from it. I remember being in high school and everybody's drinking and partying and doing these things and 
it's those that were doing drugs. And I, I just thought, I don't want to do that. I, the worst thing that could happen is that I would like it. It would be a horrible thing if I liked it. And the best thing that could happen is I just didn't like it at all. So I just resolved to myself, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be one of the, those that are experimenting with all these different things. I, I watch people that are addicted to even prescription drugs and things like that. And all, all I think is, gosh, I don't, I don't, I don't ever want to even mess with that stuff. I've, I've told Tasha, like, if, if I get hurt really bad, just remind me that I said I'll, I'll suck up the pain. I'll deal with it. I don't, I don't, I don't want to deal with, like, some of the addictions that I see people struggle with. I'll just, just let me cry. I'll be okay. Because I just watch. I think I don't, I don't want to even be tempted in those things. But for me, I, I, I think about it, and I, I just pray, God, keep me from falling. I want to stand. I want to continue. I want to run this race that God's given me. And, and I don't want to be in a place where I'm no longer fit to be a pastor anymore. I don't want to be in a place where I, I fall in such a way that I just lose respect of family, my wife, my kids. I, I want to be in a place where I'm running and I'm running hard. But I know like it's not in my own power that I could do it. I am so dependent. I, you think of the, those that... that have looked upon sinners and, and there's stories of, of, of the man that's, that's being executed and, and I don't remember which pastor it is, but it was one from a long time ago and I could guess, but someone would correct me. He, but he looks at them as he passes through the little alleyway and sees him there being executed and his, the phrase that he says is, is but, for, but by the grace of God go I. Like, if it wasn't for God's grace, that would be me. That person would be me. And to have that, that mentality of looking at it and saying, like, none of us are above falling. None of us are above falling into, into heinous sin. None of us are above any of that. We're all capable of it. If you look at your flesh and you look at your capabilities, all of us are capable of falling. And so to be in a place of, God, by your grace, don't let that be me. By your grace, keep me from falling. Enable me to stand. And so here the Holy Spirit is saying, put on the whole armor of God. Put it on. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There is a lot that's going on, God's telling us. There's a lot that's going on that, that, that we have no knowledge of at all as far as very little knowledge of as far as the spiritual warfare that's going on around us. Temptation, demons, the devil that goes on around us that many of us maybe are unaware of it at all. Of, of, at all. And you, you, there's so many within the church even that think of the devil and they pic, picture this little red character with horns and a pitchfork and it just is, it's, it's, it's laughable. And I think that's exactly where he would want us to be. It's just laughable when he is coming to kill and to, and, to, and to destroy. So we're told we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the sage. Martin Luther was well aware of this. 
couple years ago, we went to to Europe to do a wedding for one of our missionaries' charity, and uh, and so we we made a little bit of a, a family trip of it, and and um, we went through the area where Martin Luther was during the Reformation. So we we went first where Huss was there in in and uh, in Czech Republic and in Prague, and then we, we we came down and went to Wittenberg where. Um, Luther hung the 95 Thesis. We went and looked at all the places where he preached, the the different places where he was held captive, and and uh, just amazing. But as we drove, we drove this whole thing. Um, well, not the whole thing. We flew over there, and then we drove. Um, but as we drove all through that region, we we sang over and over again because we had it on on the radio, not the radio, but the iPod, pad, pod, something. Um, my wife does all that stuff. She just has music for us. But we sung A Mighty Fortress over and over again. It was awesome because, you know, like a little two-year-old and five-year-old, and they're just, they knew all the words singing from their whole heart. But the words are amazing because you, you hear him singing these words, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. A bulwark never failing. We talked about what a bulwark was. And you picture the fortress walls that are there. And there's an area that sticks out and that they would have their artillery there. They would fire upon those that were trying to get through. And, you know, rather than have a big tower that's far away from the enemies that are coming in, it was lower. But it made themselves more, more vulnerable to, like, them firing on that area. And if they could break down that, it was, you know, the fortress was, was doomed. And so he's saying... A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, never fails. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe to seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. And in him, the song is probably one of the most famous hymns. He's saying... God is our fortress, but we have an enemy, and the enemy is real. Did we, in our own strength, confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Let's ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath is his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And it goes on and on. But the emphasis of that hymn is the battle is God's. We'd be done if it wasn't for Christ, if it wasn't for his protection, if it wasn't for him working in our lives. Yeah, Luther knew the, the battle that was taking place. He knew what was coming at him as far as the devil and principalities and powers there in, in, in the Wartburg Castle, we went to see it, and there's this area that, that Luther had been placed for, I think, about 10 months. And there's a, an area specifically there next to the stove where it's, it's, it's told that he, he literally threw his inkwell at the wall at Satan there, and it's spot that, that they said at one point was there. It was not there when I looked, but at one point 
They said it was just so real, the warfare that he went through, literally just throwing an inkwell at the devil. Luther struggled, some of the most that he struggled with was just doubting God's goodness. Um, His biographers wrote that the content of his depressions was always the same, the loss of faith that God is good and that he's good to me. Um, Luther wrote in 1527, for more than a week I was close to the gates of death and hell. Just his depression as far as, is God good? Is he doing good to me? I mean, you see him going to prison. You see everybody against him. You see all this stuff taking place. And, and he said the, the, the battle that he struggled most with was just that temptation. Is God good? Is he good to me? Temptations that come, is he sovereign? Is he in control? Why do these things happen? And it was a battle that he faced. There's battles that all of us face in this life as far as ways in which we're tempted and ways in which these fiery darts come at us. Satan's real. We're told in 2 Corinthians 11 that Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. He transforms himself into a place where he appears as if he's an angel of light, but he's not. So in verse 13, we're told, therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Think of what the Holy Spirit's inspiring the apostle to write here. Take up the whole armor of God, brothers and sisters, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. So when those temptations are coming and when you're close to the point of falling, Take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in that evil day. And having done all to stand. It's a radical calling for us. Take up the whole armor of God so you can stand. I think of how many Christians are there where they just, they're not standing anymore. They're totally okay just to be laying on the sideline. They're totally okay just to be comfortable and this is just my lot and this is what I deal with and I'm, you know, I can't change, I can't change, I'm just built this way and, you know, this is who you married, sorry. You knew what you were getting into, sorry. When, in reality, God's saying, no, fight. God, help us never to be a place where we're just complacent in ourselves as far as, well, this is who I am. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner that desperately needs to repent of your sin and change to be molded more and more into the image of God. We need to hate sin. We need to love righteousness. We need to be at a place where we do whatever it takes, doing all to stand, doing all to to be holy, doing all to live a life that's pleasing to him, doing all to run a race that's been set before us, looking unto him, the author, the finisher of our faith, all that we can to stand during those times. But the standing isn't being done all on our own, as we've been looking at. It's the whole armor of who? Of God. Take up the whole armor of God so that you can stand. Then it's reiterated again in verse 14. Stand, therefore. So take up the whole armor of God so that you can stand. Stand, therefore. Stand. And as you stand, have your... Waste girded with truth. 
They would wear belts, and you could picture these Roman soldiers. Without a doubt, Paul would have been one who had these guys around him. He got to see their outfits frequently because he was imprisoned. He's looking at their dress. He's looking at the way that they go out. He knows the Roman Empire. He knows how they fight. But they have this leather belt that would go around their waist. And you, you, you could picture those during that time that they, they weren't wearing, you know, Tony's 5'11 pants. Like, he's not wearing, like, army fatigues. These guys have, like, like manly skirts on, if that's possible. And so you picture, like, you know, like, I mean, they got these little skirts that they're pulling up and putting into their belt so they're able to run, so they're able to fight, so they don't trip on their skirts. Um, And so you picture them, and they got this this belt that's around their waist, and they put their sword there within their belt. And so he begins by saying, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with, with what? With truth. With truth. The belt of truth. Um, we must know truth. We must know it. That, that, that belt that's supposed to be around our waist is knowing what's right, knowing what comes from God's word. We have to know that. We must be students of God's word to know what is true in, in, this, in this world and in our lives. There's a reason why we go through and we study throughout the entirety of God's word. There's a reason. We want you to know truth. We want you to know this is what God says. I read of, of, of someone who created a scenario in, in, in which we'd be in heaven saying, um, meeting you know, Ezekiel and having him say, like, what would you think of my book? And having so many Christians like, never read it. I got no idea what's in your book. You know, and Malachi comes up to us like, well, my book's a lot shorter. What would you think of my book? Yeah, no idea what's in your book. And I can think of how many of us are at that place. I mean, I, I think in our culture today, we have just cultivated biblical illiteracy where people don't, they don't know what's in their Bible. And so there's a reason why on Sunday mornings we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. We don't miss anything. We just go through it. We study it. There's a reason why on Wednesday nights we're going through the Old Testament and looking at books in the Old Testament. And we have someone like Pastor Don teaching it, in which, I mean, I, the, the, the man is an Old Testament scholar. He is brilliant. I mean, if you want to see Christ in the gospel in the Old Testament and know what the book is saying, you go sit under Pastor Don and just listen to him teach. It's, it's amazing to go through. To be able to listen and just say, like, I never saw. I mean, honestly, like, I'm listening to him. Like, that's amazing. I never saw that before. Um, we're blessed to have him here. Someone who pastored a church, different churches, for over 40 years. And, and now he's here, retired, and just teaching our midweek. There's a reason why the young adults ministry are going through books of the Bible or specific passages in the Bible. Youth ministry, same thing. Going through books of the Bible, studying these things. We want people to know truth. I don't want you to be at our church for, for 10 years and have gone through one book of the Bible um, and never studied anything in the Old Testament. 
We also need fellowship and we need encouragement and we need to be built up with one another and encouraging one another. But we need to know God's word. And so you see where he says, have that truth there. Know what God says. Know what he teaches. Know what's right. Know what's wrong. Know, know the limitations of Satan and know his strengths. Know the, the weakness of your own flesh. Understand the deceitfulness of the world. If those are our, our enemies, Satan, our flesh, in the world, we need to understand these things. We need to understand the promises of God. We need to go through and look and just have it be where it's brought to our attention over and over again as far as the promises of God, what he has done, who he is, what is right, what we know to be true. Doctrine matters. Theology matters. The study of God's word matters to us and we need that around our waist as far as that belt of truth we need to be able to have some kind of impulse as far as like what is right and what is wrong what do we know to be true we need to know the bible Um, it's very possible for us to have no problem reading every ridiculous story on the internet or reading the paper or reading books but having very little regard for knowing what is absolutely true as far as what you find in God's word. Don't neglect this. Study God's word. Know it. If you want to fight and you want to fight well, know the truth. Have that belt of truth. It's the first thing that God says. And we need to be truthful. Not only having that belt of truth as far as knowing the truth, but also being truthful in our lives if we're to stand. We need that. We need to be honest. The next thing he brings up is the breastplate of righteousness. This breastplate would be that armor that we would wear to protect our, our vital organs, the, 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 going right across the front of us. There would be that which they could, they could come at us, they could attack us, but if we have that breastplate on us, it, it's, it's there to protect the most vital organs. And the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say, it's the breastplate of righteousness. Two different ways to look at the righteousness there. One is, Knowing that you have righteousness that's been imputed onto you. It's so vital for us to understand that as Christians. You're, ba- you're battling in this, this life and you're going against Satan. To be able to have a breastplate of righteousness that says, I have been made righteous in Christ. I have a righteousness that's been imputed to me. It's been placed upon me. Um, it's been given to me by Christ. So that he sees me as righteous right now. I, I think of this frequently as... as when the accuser comes at you and is just like, how could you do this? And how could you do that? And to be able to say, like, he sees me as righteous right now. When you want me to run, you want me to give up, and you want me just to check out of this life. No, I have a righteousness that's in Christ. I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. I belong to him. He has made me holy, and he has made me perfect. And there's no condemnation for me because of what Christ has done. I have this breastplate of righteousness here. And it keeps me standing. I love that. I, I, I love that when he comes and just throws accusations and wants you to beat us up, we can say, like, no, we, we have a righteousness that's not our own. But on the other side of it is having personal holiness. Take up the breastplate of righteousness, meaning personal holiness in your life. If you want to stand when the enemy's coming against you and you want to run this race and you want to finish well, you want to fight the good fight. Do not neglect personal holiness in your life. Long for it. Desire for it. If you think that you can feed the flesh and just keep feeding and feeding and feeding the flesh and you're still going to run well, 
You won't. You're going to be so filled up with the stuff of the world that it's going to be so easy for you to fall when the enemy comes at you. God, help us to be at a place of just longing for righteousness, longing for holiness, looking at our lives and saying, is this pleasing unto him? Does this honor him? Should I be taking this in? Should I be talking like this? Should I be hanging out in these crowds in which it just causes me to stumble? Should I participate in any of those things? And God would say, no, have a breastplate of righteousness. Not only the imputed righteousness that Christ has given unto you, but live lives that just are passionate towards holiness in Romans 6 13 it says and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God don't present yourselves as far as the things that you do the way that you think your members as those that are going towards sin The next thing that he says here in verse 15 is, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In order to keep from slipping and falling, to be able to stand firm, a soldier needs shoes that would, they would have these little nail spikes that would come out of it like cleats. And they would wear these in order to to fight. And and you can look through history and see that, that, that those that had armies that did well had shoes. I mean, you... Think historically throughout the history of this world, how many people had no shoes, went into battle, didn't have shoes. And the, the difference as far as who would win and who didn't win, it largely depended on whether they had shoes or not, even within our own country in the Revolutionary War. Um, and so he says, have your feet, Sean, with the, the preparation of the gospel of peace. gospel of peace. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, knowing that, that, that God has, has taken away this heavy burden of sin from us and we have peace with him. It enables us to stand in a way that's different. To, to be at a place of, I'm not, I'm not fighting this fight to try to earn favor with God. I'm not trying to fight this fight and live this life in such a way as far as like, I hope I make it into heaven. I hope I'm okay. But to be in a place of, no, I have the gospel of peace. I, I, I have peace with God. I have it with him already. I'm in a place where he has made it so that I'm no longer an alien away from him. I've been brought into the family. I'm now at peace with him. Not only that, but, but being ready to go share that gospel of peace having shoes that are fed and just ready to go with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You're ready to go and proclaim it. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that we're to be ready to give a, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Part of that full armor of God is having feet that are shod, that are there knowing that we have peace with God and ready to proclaim that gospel to others. Verse 16 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Notice the first two words there, above all. Above everything else, have a shield of faith. Have a shield of faith. Have a shield of faith that's there that makes it so that you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So you picture 
the enemy firing arrows. And on the end of the, the arrow is this, this point that is covered with fire. They put something on the end that they light on fire and they, they shoot them. And, and Paul's saying, have, have a shield of faith that's there, that's ready. So when he fires those arrows at you, you're able to have that shield and it, the, the, the arrow hits the shield and it quenches the fire. It blocks the, the, the arrow and, and you're safe. And it's a shield of faith. It's a faith that, that, that's there that looks and says, I trust you, God. I know that, that most everybody as a believer would sit here and say, like, no, I believe God's in control. I, I believe that there's nothing that's too hard for him. But in the midst of a trial, it's so easy for us to forget those things and be like, why, God, why, why, why? Why would you do that? Why would you? And to quickly be in a, a place of having our faith become so small. Part of the reason why we go through Scripture is you go through it and you see story after story, account after account of God and his faithfulness. You see that he has a plan. You see that he is working in redemptive history to bring about a specific purpose. You see him doing things that are impossible, he brings us over and over again to see that ourselves in a place of it's impossible to get out of this and then God gets them out from the Red Sea to, to people who have been lame for years, someone who's been born blind, someone that's a, a leper. You go through and you see account after account going against the armies of the enemy with just a very few people. God working in ways in which he gets all the glory. You go through scripture and your faith will grow. As I prepare sermons, I'm preparing them thinking, I want to magnify Christ. It goes through my head all the time. I want you to see his supremacy. I want you to see his greatness. I want you to come in here and hear what it tells us about God and, and to leave just saying, like, okay, I trust him. I trust him. He can do anything. If, if you're coming in and, you, and your view of God is, is smaller to where you look and, and you think, I know God's big, but... You have very little passion to worship him. You don't trust him all that much. You feel like your circumstances are outside of his control or he just doesn't care. My prayer is that you would not leave that way. That you would leave at a place of, no, he does care and he does know and there's nothing too hard for him. There's not a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from his will. He can do all things and he has the power to do it. This morning as we look at this text, my Desire isn't that you leave going, stand, you can stand, you can do it. Put on the armor as if it's all you. I pray that you would look and say, that's all him. It's in the power of his might. I want to stand from his ability. I want to put on his armor. I want to do what he calls me to do. I want to be in obedience as far as this is what you've called me to do. You find people in a place of, I don't, I'm, I've fallen into sin. I don't, I don't know how I've fallen into sin, but I've just fallen into gross sin. This is what I'm doing. And, and questions would come into my mind as far as, well, God has made provisions for you to stand. Are you doing those things? Are you in his word? God tells you, do not forsake the gathering together of the body. Have you done that? Are you forsaking being together and being in a place of studying his word? Do you have accountability? Are you confessing sins one to another? 
Do you have people that you're able to talk to and have them hold you accountable? Are there members of the body that are there encouraging you and strengthening you and building you up? Are we making disciples and being made disciples? Are we quickly going out and proclaiming the gospel and being mindset and having a mindset of just having our eyes fixed upon him? Are we praying? Are we in prayer? Are we calling upon him? These are all things that God has called us to do, and yet so often we find ourselves in a place of our view of him becomes so small, and we think that we can do it all on our own. And God's just saying, no, take up the shield of faith. Have a faith that looks and says, God's all-powerful. He can do all things. He's the one that gives me the strength. I need to be in the power of his mind. I need to go with his ability. He's working in me, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's the one that will do it. He's the one will accomplish it. And I just need to call upon him. I need to pray. I need to depend upon him. I need to be healthy and involved in the church and serving and being in a place where I'm being ministered to and cared for. I need to be in his word and listening in such a way that God changed my heart and make me see you, make me conformed more and more into your image. And, and being in a place of, I just want to stand and I want to stand well and I want to fight and I want to fight hard. But I need a shield of faith and I need to have a huge view of who God is. So that I may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Those fiery darts can be persecution, trials, lust, doubt, materialism, vanity, temptation to fall into further addictions, various other temptations that lead us to sin. A proper shield of faith will extinguish those things. Don't you want to extinguish those things? I do. God, give me a faith that just makes it so it's like, no. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I mean, you see Satan just firing upon Christ. And he's just in a place of, no. What God has done for me and who he is is far greater than you, and I'm just going to trust in his promises. He goes from there in verse 17. It says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet of salvation. That helmet that goes over our head that causes us just to know that we're secure in him. You see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8 where Paul's saying, We're hard-pressed on every side, coming at us from every side, and yet not crushed. We're perplexed but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. And then in verse 16, he goes on and says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The helmet of salvation, it says, even when these afflictions come our way, I'm not going to lose heart. I'm keeping my eyes fixed upon my salvation. To, to me, it's one of the greatest encouragements to look and say, like, I need to run this race, and I want to run it well, and I don't want to waste time. I want to make it so that I, I run hard to the end. Um, our kids and I, we started with, and, and Tasha, we, we, when we tuck them to bed, we pray together. But one of the things that, that we do is, um, learned it from Jonathan Edwards, but one of the things that we do when, when we're tucking them to bed is we say to them, in which way could you have done better today to the glory of God? 
Like, in which way could today have been better? And the first time we did it, the response was like, I think it was as good as it could be. And then we had to spur them on. Did you pray today? Yeah. When did you pray? Breakfast. Teacher prayed. Any other prayer besides that? No. Is that enough prayer? Maybe. And to be able to take them from there to no, it's not. Let's pray. Depend on him. Did you give thanks to him? Did you praise him for who he is? Tomorrow, when you go to bed, let's not have it be where we're looking at saying, gosh, I only prayed once today. How are you with your sister? How are you towards your brother? Was there fighting that took place? And to be able to go through and to walk, how could it have been better? But for us as adults to do the same thing. Running the race in such a way that we're, we're looking at, like, I'm hard-pressed, but I am not going to lose heart because I have been saved, and I'm going to keep my eye fixed on the fact that those little days of how could you have done better today turn into years, and the years go by fast, don't they? You take anybody here that's, you know, over 60, over 70, they'll tell you it went by so fast. Pastor Bill, 94, talked with him. He's like, I still feel like I'm young. I don't know how it happened, but I still feel like I'm like 30, but I'm not. Being at a place of 94 and you're still thinking like, gosh, I just, how did I get to 94? It goes by fast. But realizing we're saved. We have a salvation that's given to us. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who be, has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Having a mindset that looks and says, I'm saved. He began a good work in me, and he'll be faithful to complete it. That helps us as we're fighting. To have a helmet of salvation that just says, I'm saved. Like Paul says in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. And he goes on, what do we say? If God is for us, who could be against us? Who could be against us? I trust him, I am saved. You watch Paul, he's talking about these light afflictions that are coming this way. I don't know that most of us would look at his afflictions as like light afflictions. The guy's like getting thrashed, tortured, beaten, left out at sea, stoned. And yet he's not in a mindset of like, I just want out of here. He said, I think it's more to the glory of God if I stay right now. I mean, to go to be with him is way better, but I think it's more to the glory of God that I stay. The person that says that is someone that just has a helmet of salvation that knows, like, I'm secure, I'm in him, I belong to him, he'll finish it, he'll keep me to the very end, and I'm saved. And so when the enemy comes at me from all directions, I'm secure, I'm okay, and I'm going to fight hard. And lastly, he says, as far as the arm of God, the sword of the Spirit, your work. You look in the, 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 the sword of the spirit is that which is the word of God. You use it to fight. A psalmist says in Psalm 119 verse 11, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
may we have the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit that rehearses things in our minds like 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So when you're being attacked and he's saying you can't give in. You, 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 you're, you're for sure gonna. You're for sure gonna fall. You're for sure gonna fall. You're for sure gonna fall. To be able to have God's word be there to say, like, no, He always makes a way of escape. Always makes a way of escape. First John four four, He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. When you're getting beat up and you're just getting thrashed by the enemy, to have the sword of the Spirit that says Romans eight one, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, 1, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? These are the kind of things that should go to our minds when we're looking at something like, okay, I'm just going to sin, but then I'll ask for forgiveness later. And God's saying, no, have it be where you have the sword of the Spirit that's there and says, like, should we sin that grace might abound? No, absolutely not. He died for me in this. Why would I ever want to live any longer in it? And to have that mindset, and you could go on with thousands of other scripture. Commit them to memory. Brothers and sisters, we want to stand, don't we? We want to fight and we want to stand. From there, he says, praying always. Prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Praying always. We are dependent, dependent, dependent upon him. God, help us to be in a place where we hear that, we know it, we want to run this race, we want to fight, we want to put on the whole armor of God, and we are just a prayerful, prayerful people that we might continue to stand. pray that this morning would be an encouragement to you, but possibly also an exhortation where maybe you've been in a place of you're not fighting, you're laying down on the sideline. Um, the enemy has been coming at you, and you have not even come close to putting on the whole armor of God. God, help us to be in a place where we hear these things and say, I want to do all that I can to stand. I want to stand. Help me, Lord. May I do these things. May I do it daily. When you're called to be a soldier, these guys in the Roman Empire that are putting on this armor, they're not called to be a soldier when they want to be. Like they know, like, I'm a soldier and I'm enlisted for the rest of my life. And they put on the armor of God, their armor, daily to go about what they're doing. They always have their sword, they always want their helmet. They always want their breastplate. They always want their shoes on because they know they could be attacked at any time. God, help us to think that way that it's not like, okay, I think I want through some really hard stuff. I should put on the whole armor of God today. May it be a daily thing that we do that we might be able to stand. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time this morning. And I pray, Lord, that it would just be an appropriate section of Scripture for each and every person here. May we do all that we can to stand. May we do all that we can to keep from falling, but may we do it in the power of your might, with 
your armor placed upon us. By the truth that you give us in your scripture. By the salvation that you give us. By the righteousness that you give us. May we do it by your enabling. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.